Building on a Firm Foundation Basics of the Catholic Faith A Catechism Series by David Rodriguez Sponsored by the Fatima Center Episode 15 Who is God? Given on October 6, 2020 Praise be Jesus and Mary I'm David Rodriguez, Content Director of the Fatima Center and we're building on a firm foundation as we study the basics of our Catholic faith. In the last two episodes, we have shown through a more rigorous use of our right reason that God does indeed exist. And so the next logical question is to ask, well, well who is he and what is he like? We can certainly know much about God primarily through revelation, his own self-revelation. We will put that in the category of faith. We'll be talking about some of those things the mystery of the Blessed Trinity, one God in three persons, or the mystery of the Incarnation, that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Those are things that we know from Revelation, through our faith. But reason can also tell us many things about God, especially about His divine attributes, and the obligation that they impose upon man. So we're going to start by looking at those things that we can know about God through right reason. Let's go ahead and begin with our prayer, the Apostles' Creed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. Amen. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and use material from the previous episodes that we've already learned, the concept of order, and how there is order in this world, and also that concept of cause and effect and understanding that the cause must be greater than the effect, have the power, the actuality, to create that effect within itself. Once you know these two things, you can sort of look around the world and you can say, well, things change. In fact, things are always changing. We human beings are changing, life on this world is changing. You have a look at the heavens and they're always changing as well because of the motion. You know, the sun is there and the stars are there and then they're in other places. So if things are changing or moving, then each change, each movement, must be caused. Right? It has to be caused, because of cause and effect, we know that. So, there has to be a cause that moves that. We know that material reality is changing, even our emotions change, even you know, our spiritual dispositions are changing. Uh, so everything's always changing, well what causes that change? And in fact we would ask what causes there to be change, the fact that just there is change as opposed to not change, right? Because those would be two options. It could be that everything was static and nothing changed, but we don't live in that world. We live in a world of change. So why is it that we have change as opposed to not change? And why does change exist and work the way it does through cause and effect? There always has to be that cause. It's causing it. But if everything was always changing, then this whole process of change could never start. If you go back, you've got to say at one point in time, there is something that does not change. There is something that is eternal. There has to be. 
Even if you go back to the two basic scenarios, I mean, one scenario was that the world itself was eternal. The other scenario was that the world was created at some point in time. Even if you want to take, like, the Big Bang and there was this big super explosion, what caused that super explosion? And not only that, but the whatever material elements were there to, in fact, explode had to be there before the explosion, before the Big Bang. So are those sort of raw elements, are those eternal? Have they just always been any way you look at it, you've got to get back to this concept that something has always been. Now, if you go down the path of denying God, you say whatever has always been is immaterial, has no spirit, has no mind, has no will, and that's where you get into having to explain things through random, spontaneous processes, which we've already debunked. So now we're left with the fact that there is something that must be eternal, that is change-less, so that it can create the change. Aristotle called this the unmoved mover. He himself doesn't move, but he can get other things moving. There must be that, again, logically. I think this was a little harder to get your mind around, so one does have to spend, I think, a little bit of time thinking about it, but you realize that because there is change in the world, we have to get back to the fact that something, some power, some force, is not changing. And so, of course, we know this is God, and therefore our Intellect, our reason, our common sense is going to tell us that God himself is eternal, has always existed and will always exist, and not just eternal, but must be changeless. There can be no change in him in order for there to be the rest of the change in the world. Okay, and then also, in addition to that, we would talk about contingent existence. Uh, what do we mean by that? We mean it could exist or it could not exist, either way. So, for example, I am a contingent being. I could exist or I could not exist. Back in the year 1900, I did not exist. But the world was still here and everything was still running. And there will be one day when I will not exist again, at least in this, uh, in this veil of tears, right? My soul is immortal. But anyway, uh, there will be a time when I'm not around on this earth. And I don't cause my own existence. That's the other thing about contingent. I cannot will myself into existence. It's not like I was there and said one day that, uh, okay, now I want to start existing, and I popped up. No, it's not like that at all, right? Man is not self-causing, and we're fully aware that man is a contingent being. And what's more, as we look around the world, we see that all these other things which exist are also contingent. In fact, can you think of anything that is not contingent, that is the cause of its own existence? So we recognize that we're not contingent, but as we look around the world, we see that everything else is not contingent. Like my house could be here, could not be here. You know, even something like the sun. The sun could be here or could not be here. Now, obviously, if the sun was not here, we would say, well, then this world, this earth, would not be able to support the life that it does. But we could imagine that there's a possibility that at some point, you know, scientists where I was talking about it, where let's say the sun would implode, would explode and would disappear, would destroy itself, let's say. Because of that process of decay, remember. Uh, anyway, if that's the case, then the sun itself is contingent. All these stars that we see out in the skies, you know, they're saying that they're burning out. That would mean that one day they would cease to be. So all the things that we see around us in this world are contingently, or exist contingently. But that also, again, when you really stop to think about it, what that means is that then there has to be something that is not contingent in order for all the contingent things to exist. Because if everything was contingent, and could or could not exist, then you'd have the possibility of nothing existing, versus the reality that things do exist. 
if everything was contingent, then by probability and by randomness, you'd get to a point where all things just cease to exist. And that actually is a far more likely probability than that things would exist, again, because of this process of decay. Think about it. For something to exist requires an energy, a power, and for something to not exist requires what? Obviously, it requires nothing. And in fact, for living things, we have to be constantly replenished in order to stay alive. So it's far easier to have a state of non-existence. That scenario is far more likely than for one to have a state of existence. We could say that existence is a kind of perfection vis-a-vis non-existence. It's more perfect than non-existing. And again, as we said, for something to exist requires an energy or a power, a force or an intent, a cause. And for it to remain in existence also requires a continual supply of energy or power, a continuing cause. Which is why if things were left to pure natural randomness, non-existence is the far greater probability than existence. But that's not ever happening. It never happens. Things do exist and continue to exist. So there has to be some force that is not dependent upon the others in order to exist. So that's uncontingent. Something that can cause its own existence and must necessarily exist. So in other words, existence is part of its very essence. It has always been, it has always existed, a non-contingent being that causes his own existence. And that, that's this uncreated being we call God. And he has to exist by the very nature that everything else that we see around us is contingent. That's what I say, I mean, I think it does take a little bit of mental work. I mean, we're going to have to struggle with this a little bit, both that notion of how we can get to the fact that God himself is not contingent, and there must be that force, and that God himself cannot change, he must be eternal. And those are very important attributes of God, which really, everything else sort of starts coming from that. In fact, those are even two more proofs of God's existence. Aristotle will use those. He probably does, but Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas uses those in his famous five proofs of God's existence. Uh, The proof from change and the proof from this contingent existence to show that there must be an uncreated creator and an unmoved mover whom we call God. Okay, that's just using our right reason and our common sense. So we know now some of the divine attributes that God himself is eternal, that his essence is existence. Now you can also know this through faith. Very famously, when our Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, and Moses asks him, well, for his name, because when he goes back to the Israelites, right, who sent me? I'm going to ask. And what does God say? He tells Moses, I am who I am. The sacred name revealed by God himself. He's basically saying, I am the one who exists. I am who am. I am existence. I am the one who creates all things and maintains all things in existence. So Exodus 3.14 is a wonderful, you know, sort of scriptural, divine revelation of faith that is backed up by what the Greek philosophers came to realize. There had to be this uncreated creator, this being that is not contingent. And then we talked about how he's changeless, right? Again, we used our reason, but you can look at scripture as well. A couple of places, for example, Malachi, the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6, he very clearly states there, For I am the Lord, and I change not. 
And if you want to look at the New Testament, we can look at the first chapter of the letter of St. James, which is verse 7, where St. James writes, Every best gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no change, no shadow of alteration. Thus also he is perfect. Okay, so now we see that with God, because all gifts are coming from him, every perfect gift comes from him and he doesn't change, he is perfect. If he changed, then he wouldn't be perfect. Anytime something changes, then that means you're either becoming more imperfect, because the change was not a good one, or you're becoming better, because the change was a good one. But regardless, if you're changing, you couldn't be perfect. But because you're changeless, then you are perfect. So we realize that God is eternal and he's changeless. And in all these attributes, he's going to have perfection. So, for example, we get into the famous omnis, right? That he's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. So omnipotent, he can do all things. He's almighty, he's all-powerful. Omnipresent, he's present in all things. And omniscient, he knows all things. We know this about God. Again, if he's the creator of all things that exist, he is the cause of all the effects then every single perfection that exists in every single created reality must be inside God. He has to have all those to a greater power. So, just like I said last time, I can't create the oak tree. I can't generate that. I don't have that power within myself. But God does create the oak tree, so he has the power of the oak in him. But he creates me, so he has the power of man in him. And he creates every other thing. He creates the stars and the solar system and the rain. All things he creates that we don't even know how to create these things. But God does, and so all those perfections are in him. He's omnipotent. Anything that is in fact possible, God can do. So God can do all things. And here again, I would caution people. When we say he can do all things, we're talking about reality and truth. And that which is possible. I always get a little frustrated, maybe you do too, when people bring up some, what I would say, sort of like illogical thing. So they say, well, can God make a circle that is a square? Um, well, the answer is no. Oh, well, see, God can't do all things. And I say, but that doesn't make any sense. That is not a truthful thing. That is not a logical possibility. By definition, a square has got the four 90 degree angles, it's a quadrilateral, and the circle has no angles. So you're asking God to basically be illogical, to do something that is not reality. Okay, That doesn't work. In your mind, you can create these abstract funny things. The other one that people like to say is, well, can God build a wall so high that he can't jump over it? And either way, then I've got you trapped because God, there's something God can't do. Either build that wall or not jump over it. And it's like, again, this is a logical inconsistency. Basically, a logical inconsistency is an error. Okay, In other words, it's not truth. Okay, so God is a God of truth, of reality, not of non-reality. God is a God of existence, not of not-existence. Okay? Similarly here, and this is, again, we'll probably cover this more in other classes, but Augustine famously talked about evil, because we have this problem of evil. You know, could God lie? Or could God do something evil, people will ask. And the answer is no, God does not lie, and God does not do anything evil. Now, I will see, God can't do all things, they suddenly say, it's like, no. Because to lie is really a lack of truth. It's sort of a non-existence. It's the absence of a truth that should be there. That's, that's really what the lie is. And God is not going to be a God of death, a God of nothingness, a God of non-existence. Because as we said earlier, existence is his essence. Okay? Similarly, with anything that is evil, Augustine would say that evil itself is not something that exists, but rather evil is the lack 
of a good. A good should be there. And it's because the good that should be there is not there. We recognize that that good is missing, and we perceive that, give it the name of evil. But evil itself is not something concrete. Rather, it is the absence of a goodness. Again, it's a slipping back into that nothingness. Uh, that entropy, that decay we've talked about, sort of. That, and that's the evil, uh, like on the moral level. So God's not going to do that, because God is a God of existence. So again, understand when we say He's all-powerful, we're talking about with regard to truth, with reality, with uh, objective truth and created reality, not uh, illogical things and non-existent things, because some people like to do that, and that seems to stump some people, and then they sort of get a little you know, disconcerted. Again, that's why we have to use right reason, and not get lazy and sloppy here, and just sort of go along with the errors that other people are spreading. Uh, he's omnipresent. Again, we talked about how he doesn't just create things, but he sustains all of them in existence. So it's almost like he's constantly infusing his own power, this essence that he has, existence, into all things that exist. Okay, he's always maintaining them in existence. Therefore, he's present to all things. Otherwise, how would he support them in existence at all times? So his omnipresence is very clearly there, again, just rationally and logically thinking about it, he must be present to all things in order to sustain them in existence at all times. Omniscient, again here we talk about the fact that there's intelligent design in the world. He must know all things. He knows how to create all these things. Anything we could ever know, he knows, and he knows more. But again, even space and time were created at some point. Okay, Time also. So that means God knows all these things. His knowledge precedes the creation of space and time. And that's why our knowledge, we live inside time, is conditioned by time. When I'm a little kid, I learn certain things, and as I grow older, I might learn things, might forget things too. But over time, I'm changing, I'm affected by those things. God, who is outside of time and created time, knew all things before he ever created time. Right? That's why time doesn't affect God's existence. That's why he knows the future and knows the past. And again, he's changeless, because he's perfect. Uh, when I acquire new knowledge, I am changing. My mind is changing. I'm learning new things, or if I forget things, again, I'm changing. God is changeless, so he has to know all things and must always have known all things. Again, I hope you can see how really when you apply your reason a little more rigorously, not that these things are easy, I grant you. I mean, we've got to exert ourselves here. Let's not be spiritually lazy about these things. Let's get serious about them, because we've got to engage in a world that is diabolically disoriented, and as Our Lady of Fatima said, Russia will spread her errors, chief error of Russia, atheism, denial of God. Talk about a great deal, supreme laziness here, to not even use your common sense and your right reason to look around at the world, realize that God exists. So God has all perfections. Okay, we could go on and on with a lot of these, but very quickly, you know, truth, he knows all truth. Goodness, all goodness comes from him. Beauty, all beauty comes from him. Unity is a perfection. His mercy is perfect. His justice is perfect. And in all these cases, we have concepts of them. What goodness is, what justice is, what mercy is, what truth is. And so, yes, God has those attributes as we understand them, but far beyond how we understand them. So we can say that compared to God, our understanding of justice is very limited. Um, it's a very limited understanding because God's justice far supersedes ours. Um, and on the final judgment day, we recognize that same thing with his mercy. His mercy far exceeds our understanding of mercy, or his humility far exceeds our understanding of humility. The mere fact that he condescended to become man and to die on a cross for us. And then to continue to renew his sacrifice and constrain himself within that sacred host, within an immaterial piece of bread, uh, which will be changed into his real presence. 
Tremendous humility. So his humility far above ours. So he has all these perfections. Just emphasizing one, he must be one. There can't be two. That oneness, that unicity is a perfection as well. You can't have two all-powerful, all-perfect beings that have existed for all time because again of the contingency, one has to create the other, the contingent existence and the change. So you can't have two gods. There must only be one. Again, even the Greeks could come to that. He must be pure spirit, right? Because the material world, by its very nature, the property of materiality is to change and to decay. And if you're going to be perfect and changeless, you can't have a material or a corporal, a bodily existence. So God has to be spirit and he has to be pure spirit. We know he's spirit because he has intelligence, he has will, he has created all these things. So he does have spirit, the mind, the intelligence, the will, and that's how we can perceive those things because he's given them to us, how we made him that in the Imago Dei, image and likeness of God. But again, uh, he can't have a body because if he had a body, it would be changing over time. So God is pure spirit. And we also speak of God being simple. By that, what we mean is that he is not divisible into parts. He does not have different components, if you will. We humans, we have arms and legs, we have internal organs, and numerous individual cells, and all these different parts that make us up, as do all the other material things around us. This being divisible into parts, well, that's a property of materiality. Whereas that which is spirit must indeed be simple or indivisible. There is a oneness, a unicity to spirit, which is simply not possible for material existence. Uh, so these are just some of the attributes that we can know about who God is, what he's like. Again, perfect in all things, eternal, changeless, omnipotent, omniscient, knows all things, omnipresent. He is perfect in all his attributes and his unity, his pure spirit, his goodness, his truth, his mercy, his perfection. And that really does give this wonderful picture of who God is. So even before we've even touched on divine revelation, just using our human reason, we have come to know a great deal about who God is, and all men should be able to do this. That's why we went back to that quote from St. Paul in his first chapter to the letter of the Romans, where he explains that all men should know God exists and his attributes, these that we've gone over, and therefore render him justly the obligations we owe to him. So if you look at your catechism, these were basically questions 17 through 24, I'm talking about God and his attributes, that there's only one God, the Spirit. We've now covered those, and we'll move into the other parts of the Apostles' Creed next time. Do thank you very much for joining us. Again, if you have any questions, please do email me. You can call us at the number being 1-800-263-8160. Also, all this information is in the Show More section underneath the video, if you're looking on it through YouTube. And it's also at our website. You can download notes, podcasts, other such things. Check out also the other shows, like Kennedy Hall, his report that he's also giving, the various talks we're having by our priests. A lot of wonderful material that the Fatima Center is putting out there. Uh, and once again, we thank you for all of your contributions. That's what enables us to make all this work possible and to get the word out to many people who are profiting from this, learning their faith, coming to know God better, and thereby being able to love Him more and serve Him better. That's ultimately the goal. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's go ahead and close with prayer. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love Thee. And I ask pardon for all those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love Thee. 
Most Holy Trinity, I adore thee. My God, my God, I love thee in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. Sweetheart of Mary, be my salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. May you have a most blessed week, and we'll see you for the next episode as we get to delve into the Apostles' Creed. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. Immaculate Heart of Mary, Ora Pronovis.